Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of of scripture. This week's essay is When I Survey These Wondrous Crosses. Not to be confused with the hymn that I used for an episode several weeks back, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. This one is titled When I Survey These Wondrous Crosses. This essay is written by Steve Bell, a Canadian singer, songwriter, and artist. He is among the best known Christian musicians in Canada and well known in the States. Before embarking on his career, Bell founded independent recording label Signpost Music along with Dave Zielinski, longtime friend and co-producer. His first solo album, Comfort My People, was released on Signpost that same year. Bell has 20 albums to his credit. Among his many awards are two Junos, several GMA Canada Covenant Awards, and the 2012 Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. And with that, let's begin when I survey these wondrous crosses by Steve Bell. We have several crosses lying around the house, a couple beside the desk at which I am now writing, and one downstairs hanging in the dining room. Strange decorations they are, especially the one downstairs. It is a crucifix, which means the cross carries a figure of Christ on it. To display a tortured, dying man as a decoration for one's dinner guests is kind of strange if you think about it. But of course, it is not a decoration. My friend Norm made it for us. Norm is one of those deep-eyed carpenter types whose craft is prayer. I imagine he thought a lot about Christ as he carved it. And I imagine he thought a lot about us as well. Somehow, all of us, Norm, his community, and even Christ are represented as one in this piece of wood. That's how I look at it. Hanging on the wall next to my desk is another cross, the smaller one, a gift for my wife. It is a plain, square, wooden cross with a figure of Christ on it as well. This Christ is not emaciated, naked, and dying, as is the other one. This Christ is fully robed and upright, arms flung open, outstretched in celebration, in welcome and in blessing. This Christ is not fastened 
but floating, held not by nails and ropes, but by his own will, the will of God. He is the Christ-just victor, glorified with the Father and the Spirit now and unto ages of ages. This one arrests me and draws a fearful, adoring, holy, holy, holy from the deepest part of my being. This one makes me forget about myself. Lying on the shelf beneath Christ's victor is a cross my son gave me last summer. He fashioned it some 25 feet above the earth while perched in the branches of an old oak that stands alone against the galleon of poplars. This cross is perfectly proportioned, made of slender, trimmed branches that have been notched and fastened with wire. I don't know what all was going on for Jesse as he made it, probably more than he even knows, but I am deeply touched that he thought I should have it. Then there is, of course, the real cross of Christ, the one that exists in time but transcends any such means of measuring, the one whose light all others become mere shadows. But shadows are never really only mere. For some of us, who may be too tired, wounded, or afraid to look up. Shadows may be the only indicators we have of the real. Shadows always invite us to look up, if at all possible, to discern their cause. In this case, the cause is not the cross itself, but that ineffable, pure, white light. It makes every real thing visible, and all other shadows possible. Glory to you, O Lord. Now, there is an essay that accompanies this scripture. It was written by George A. Buttrick, and it goes, If God were good, says the world, the sin of the earth would break his heart. To which the preacher answers, pointing to the cross, See his breaking heart? There are many people who believe that this is precisely why Jesus died how he died way earlier than the Roman centurions expected him to. Some believe the combination of having all the evil and vile sins placed within him and thus forcing his father, who cannot dwell with sin, to abandon him, to abandon Jesus, was simply too much for his pure heart to endure. Now, the photo accompanying this essay is called The Quest. The Quest is an image from the earliest days of the early days of my capturing the cross collection, back when the entire hillside was covered with grass. Or some might say, hey, the landscape imparts the feeling of a late summer afternoon. There is a sea of grass at its maximum of about three feet high, with the calming amber-yellow hue that you see in late summer. The image was captured after sunset, and the color of the sky is the purplish type of blue you see during the beautiful transition from day to night. Now, why the title of The Quest? Well, the landscape gives the sense it is an empty field, void of anything, and nothing to look for there. And yet, I found a cross. And as we will learn in today's essay, there's a lot to a cross, any cross, every cross. And no matter what crisis, changes, and challenges we face in our lives, our friends, our family, our church, or in society, the story, the purpose, and the impact of the cross stays the same. In other words, when everything around our lives are in flux, constantly changing, 
the cross never changes. The principles, precepts, and promise of the cross never moves. And it will not be moved, even while the tectonic plates between our temporal life keep shifting. The bedrock of Calvary is solid, steadfast, and sure. When events in your life begin to shake your footing and your foundation, and even your faith, then seek the cross. Seek it without ceasing. The reason for the name is also because sometimes the journey of finding the type of peace only found in the cross may seem like a noble and necessary quest. In Psalm 63.1 it says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And in Jeremiah 29.13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So personally, it was the quest to find and rest in the perfect peace found in the message and purpose of the cross, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Now getting back to the essay, Steve takes us on a journey, a study in contrast really, between three uniquely different crosses, a few in his office and one in his dining room. He starts off with the large crucifix above his dining table, and he agrees that it can be a little disconcerting having a bloody, disfigured body hanging a little higher than where his friends and family enjoy their meals. I can see that. But before we consider Steve's placement, I realize some people may not know that there is a difference between a cross and a crucifix. What we simply call a cross has no body on it, but a cross with the body of Jesus nailed or hung on the cross is referred to as a crucifix. In the realm of Christendom, there's a third cross, which is also an empty cross, but on the top area, there's a form of the sign, the sign that declared King of the Jews, a bar above the main crossbar. Sometimes the sign part is so pronounced that it almost makes the cross look like it has two crossbars. On the bottom, there is a similar crossbeam that infers the board that the Romans nailed Jesus' feet onto. The footboard is angled with the right side pointed up and the left side pointed down. The footboard is very symbolic, with the right upwards angled side referencing the good thief and the downward left side referencing to the ultimate resting place of the bad thief. This cross goes way back the early church, and it is still currently the preferred cross to orthodoxy, the, the Coptic Christians, the Greek and Eastern Orthodox Church. It is referred to as a Byzantine cross, and there are many variations of it. Now, the cross with the body of Christ on it, a crucifix, is preferred by the modern Catholic Church. This leaves the broad spectrum of Protestant denominations preferring the empty cross, like the white wooden cross I shot over several years. So, in the case of this essay, the first cross is a crucifix. Now, there are some crucifixes that have a little blood from his forehead, you know, under the crown of thorns, some from the wounds on his hand and feet, and of course, some blood flowing from the wound on his side where he was pierced with the Roman spear. Some do more, like add blood on his knees, referencing the times he felt carrying the cross on the Via Della Rosa. Others add blood on his face, referring to how he was beat with fists and of the Roman rod. Of course, no matter how accurate an artist tries, he can never adequately recreate how Jesus looked on the cross. Why? 
Because it says in Isaiah 52, 14, that just as there were many who were appalled looking at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond any human likeness. In another translation, it says, he no longer looked like a human man. It means that you would not be able to tell he was human anymore or that he was ever human. Not even the Passion of the Christ movie was able to capture how truly disfigured the body and face of Jesus became. Now, I have a cru- one crucifix in my office given to me by a brother of a brother-in-law who, yes, is Catholic. He broke his neck diving in an infamous part of our local river named Bear Hole. It was a tragedy, but it could have been worse, as we heard for about the first day or so that he had lost control of his arms as well. But those came back. What we did notice is that even though he became wheelchair-bound, he never became bitter, and we all witnessed that his faith became amplified after the accident, and he's still a bright light of faith to the very large family we married into. And he's an inspiration to me to this day. And so, when I received the gift of a crucifix, it meant a lot and still means a lot to me. It is the first crucifix I've ever owned, and I'm glad to have it and have the ability to be reminded of what Christ chose to do for me and for us. The crucifix is rather large, about one feet high, but it does fit proportionally in the space that I hung it. Just to the right of it is a Gaelic-looking cross, about six to eight inches high. It is made of a special type of wood and masterfully carved with intricate throughcuts in an Irish-looking style. It was a gift from a dear brother commemorating the day I was anointed with oil and commissioned to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word, coinciding with the start of this cross devotional ministry. On the left-hand side, I have a cross that caught my eye when I had a cross booth at a holiday craft fair. Across from me was a leathersmith making various products from leather. And this one cross I bought from him is the same height as the wooden carved cross and has red stones in the middle making the form of a cross, which means I have a crucifix in the middle and two crosses on each side. And since my office window is towards the street, someone who might be looking in the office from the street, the first thing would recognize would be the three crosses. Moreover, my desk chair faces the window, and when I have Zoom-type calls, people viewing me cannot help but see the three crosses over my shoulder behind me. And I resonate with Steve's affection for his large cross, especially as it was carved specially for him. I am sure Steve is reminded of the debt that was paid on his behalf every time he sees it, even unconsciously sometimes. I am also sure he is reminded of his mission as a Christian and in regards to sharing the gospel, meaning no one can visit the dining room of Steve's house without thinking of Christ and his sacrifice, without a seed of the gospel being planted or watered in those who view that large crucifix. Again, even if unconsciously or subconsciously. And I have to believe that over those dinner parties, whether intimate or large gatherings, discussions on Christ and Christianity are more easier sparked because of that crucifix. Of course, we can never know the impact of those seeds that we plant in others, at least not on this side of glory. And while, yes, we preach more through our actions than our words, I also believe that having Christian art 
or some would say sacred art in our house will have some sort of effect on us, our spouses, our kids, our extended family and friends. Now, outside of my office, in our front room, I have two images. One is a metal print of the power and a wood print of the shadow. Over the years, I've given away many crosses as gifts, cross images, most times wallet-sized, or on one of the 5x7 greeting cards I give out. It warms my heart when I visit a friend or a family member and I see one of my crosses placed in a prominent place uh, in their home, sometimes in the kitchen or on a desk. Or I had a sister in the Lord who framed the 5x7 from the card and then she hung it above her bedpost. She says it gives her much peace. The second cross that Steve brings up is the simple wooden one next to his desk. It is actually not one of those three that I described earlier. Remember, I described a Byzantine cross, an empty cross, and a crucifix. But this one can be referred to as a resurrected or ascended cross. As Steve described it, it shows the resurrected Christ floating in front of the cross, not hung there. Meaning to say, he has been resurrected. And some would say that there are three aspects to Jesus' life in this type of cross. His virgin birth, death on the cross, and his miraculous resurrection. Others would say four, by adding the ascension of his resurrected body up to heavens. And yet uh, others say that there are five, stating that the cumulative miracles make up the ministry part of Jesus' life. Meaning, we'd say that the major aspects of Jesus' life are the virgin birth, his ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and then ascension. These diverse aspects are hard to convey in one symbol. That's why I too like the resurrected or ascended crosses. Now, I did see one logo from an organization that I liked, a university actually. The Franciscan University in Ohio has a logo covering two of the five. On the left-hand side of the logo is a skinny, tall cross, and next to it, about 30% smaller than the cross, is the symbol of an empty tomb. The cross and the empty tomb together... Now, this Ascension Cross Steve refers to is also known as the Christus Victor Cross, one that infers that he is a glorified Jesus, along with the indwelling with the Father and the Spirit for all ages. Steve said that this cross engenders or generates a spirit of adoration from him, a spirit of worship, and a spirit of acknowledgement of of God's holiness, like the prayer, holy, holy, holy. And it sounds like this cross near his desk often catches his attention. And when it does, it leads him to a meditative contemplation of Jesus, such that he often finds forgetting about himself and and the cares of the day, while focusing on the meaning of the resurrected and ascended Jesus. Now, this is a biblical truth, as we are encouraged and instructed to keep our minds stayed on Christ, either through sacred art, Christian music, Christian radio programs or podcasts, Bible readings, Bible blogs, Christian books saying prayers, meditations, any or all of it can be triggered by view of the cross. For me, it can also be a scene of nature, a plant, a forest path, or a sunset. Nature notwithstanding, I contend that most everything around you in your everyday can help you keep your mind stayed on Christ. Why? Because unless you are a hermit, you will come across other humans in your daily activity, each of which has the need to be encouraged in their walk or introduced into a walk of faith in the kingdom of God. And each of them may be in need. 
you may not know at first which slice of the spectrum of physical or spiritual needs they may be struggling with, but remember what Jesus said. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. What this means for our devotional discussion today is that everyone we meet is a reason to share the gospel and to pray for them, or to simply be aware of any divine appointments possible. And then... Be prepared, prayed up, ready to act. And for me, the best way to do that is to keep your mind stayed on Christ in a state of prayer. Moving on to the third cross that Steve brings up, it's a small cross that his son made with branches from a special tree fastened together with wire. Steve admits that he has no idea what was going on in the mind of that young man in regards to the inspiration to make it, but confidently said, how much the cross meant to him. Steve said that knowing that it was made just for him by his son means more than anything. Now, I suspect Steve would be willing to give away all the crosses he has, even the specially carved custom-made crucifix, if Steve would be forced to choose only one cross to keep. I predict his son's cross would be the one that he would keep up to his deathbed. And for those of you with kids, I'm confident you know exactly what Steve feels about how special his son's cross is. Then Steve transitions from crosses in his home to discussing the actual cross of Christ. Not the actual wooden cross his buddy hung on and that his spirit passed away on. The one some say they could have a sliver of and who claim that sliver could possess miraculous powers, which is possible, but no, not that. But the concept of, the memory of, and the application of the cross in our life. The symbol, the symbol that spanned a thousand, thousand crosses. Like the one atop countless churches and on necklaces on the necks of billions of people over the last 2,000 years. The cross we wonder about when thinking of how to answer the question, what does the cross mean to you? That cross is not just one cross, but all crosses ever inspired ever inspired to be created by the real cross of Christ. So to contemplate so many crosses is really incredible. To realize how all the artistic variations of a horizontal and vertical stick could be inspired by the real cross that Jesus sacrificed him on. I've seen variations of crosses on wood, steel, leather, aluminum, clay, iron, stone, copper, porcelain, bronze, wire, glass, and much more. So many inspirations of art from two pieces of wood and inspired from the para-historical, ultra-historical moment on that first Good Friday, a moment that was being led up to ever since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, an event that changed everything, a fulfillment of the law leading to complete freedom in the grace of God. And that cross which spawned so many crosses, is a small shadow in the light of the real cross, like a beacon, beaconing all to enter through the cross to the salvation, healing, and joy of God's presence. Now, some are stuck looking at the shadow, not knowing or hesitant to view anything past what they see in the shadows. And I really like what Steve said in one sentence. For some of us who may be too tired, wounded, or afraid to look up, Shadows may be the only indicators we have of the real. Shadow always invites us to look up, if at all possible, to discern their cause. In this case, it is not the cross itself, 
but that effable pure white light which makes every real thing possible and with and all other shadows possible. Why do I resonate with that so much? Because Steve kind of paraphrased my mission statement <laughs> as, as a photographer and as a, using my photography as a ministry. The goal with my nature and inspirational images is, is to direct the gaze of the viewer up, if at all to discern the creator of the creation I captured, edited, and presented. And since we, ha- we have veered into the discussion of light, remember, during my last episode and the Infinity at its Best episode, we talked about how everything we know about anything in our existence is because of waves, primarily the waves from the sun, the big ball of gas in the middle of our solar system. But there is a higher light, a light that transcends across all dimensions, across all dark matter and dark energy, making everything that is really real possible. In John 1, 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Especially consider the route God has paid for us to enter into a right relationship with him, restoring what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Another gift is mentioned by King David, who said, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. This is a gift a gift from God, one of many gifts to be thankful for. God gave us life through Adam, and his breath is still in us. And he offers the gift of eternal life through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, made for us on the cross. This is not just my opinion, but a biblical principle. It says in Romans 6.23, The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, the one through whom salvation can be attained. And it may be a prophetic statement when King David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yes. After his death, Jesus came back to life, having retrieved the keys to death, hell, and the grave, no longer needing to fear death, any of us. And as we learn in physics, light is both a particle and a wave. And Jesus was fully human and fully divine. He is the light of the world. And, when the, and with that enlightened perception, we read in scripture, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That was Matthew 4, 16. And in John 1, 4, it says that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, good gifts shed light on God's heart, God's good and generous heart. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Before Jesus ascended, in John 12.35 and 36, he said to his disciples, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And of course, we want to point others to this beacon, utilizing this illuminating invitation for them to enter the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Matthew 5.16 encourages it by saying, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
So let us strive to step out of the shadows and soak in the light, and not just to absorb it, but to reflect it to others as a way of illuminating their path to the joy of God's grace. Let us be a reflection of God's unconditional love and forgiveness today. And if you have not sunbathed in the spiritually nourishing light, then I suggest you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, heal you of your pain, and soak in the spiritually cleansing light that energizes the atomic parts of your soul unto eternal life. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, this week's essay, The Quest, along with my other verspirations, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Magi Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through my blog, then log on to magicross.com. That is M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com.